Perfect, thank you. Well, good morning. What a marvelous way to start. Again, we're in a series on the Lord's Prayer. And to, so, to, so to hear the Lord's Prayer musically like that sets our heart to that very thing. The call to worship for this morning is from the book of Psalms, Psalm 27. I've set it up responsibly, so I'll read and then you answer. Again, this antiphonal setting is actually, as best we can tell, part of the way the ancient Hebrews in Jerusalem would have worshiped. A line and a response, a line and a response. So we're just part of a long line of Yahweh worshipers, worshipers of the Lord, who we know as Jesus. The scripture begins this way. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour me, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then I will be confident. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent and set me high upon a rock. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our opening hymn, number two, Stand as you're able, O worship the King, all glorious above. Amen. And have a seat if you would. 
It's always my joy to welcome those of you who are here on site. We've gathered today to give God praise together, one heart, one voice together. I'm also thankful that we can be a part through our live stream and through the recorded service, enter into other space uh, with people at different times. Uh, and I've, I've spoken with a number of them that I know are on the outside of that camera today. We're glad to be with you. We can be a part of something much bigger that God is doing, and I'm thankful to be a part of that. So welcome. This morning, our service will include uh, three people making profession of faith. Uh, that'll be Elsa, Henry, and Emmett Fogg. I'll call them forward in just a moment, and we'll proceed through that. Uh, later this morning, we'll head off site, and I'll baptize all of them. I, that's a, a moment for the family, because you built that house with, with a baptistry in it. I know the real estate people listed as a swimming pool, but I'm a pastor, so I, I see the world different. But thankful to share with that family in this moment, all of us together. Uh, after the service, there'll be coffee and munchies, time to fellowship, uh, meet people. At about 10.30, we'll start with a typical Q&A uh, in room one where I'll gather, Pastor Darwin will be with me to question and answer, just any kind of response that's helpful. One of the things we want to do is reflect on this summer's uh, synod, answer any questions, clarify any things from that. So we're pressing uh, forward and through. It's an exciting time in the life of celebration. We see God doing great things. Next Sunday, it's our plan to have uh, Justin Rito will be back from an already planned hike in the great North Canadian woods. And he will begin starting his ministry as music director, a part-time music director for us here at Celebration. So I'm thankful to be working for him. He already had this hike planned, and I just said, well, now that we've got this settled, know that there'll be extra people praying for you to come home safe, not just your wife. So we're looking forward to starting ministry with Justin and being a part of those things. We'll have a special time that you can kind of meet and greet after the service next week is the hope. All these things reflect, I hope, for you, and you see it in this light, what we believed God's calling for us, all three campuses on Hardawike, that we invite everyone to join in the journey. And it's a journey, one step at a time. Join in the journey of being found in, formed by, and following Jesus Christ. So we're thankful to be a part of that. As a community of God's grace, we are part of something, I've already mentioned it once, bigger than ourselves, both across the globe right now. The Church of Jesus Christ, the World Christian Movement, is in any number of people, groups, and nations, but we also go back through history we're part of something that predates us, and so we've been using the Heidelberg Catechism as part of our preparation for the sermons on the Lord's Prayer. Uh, today, we continue that practice, and I'll start with question 127. It reads this way, what does the sixth petition mean? And do not bring us to the time of trouble, but rescue us from the evil one means. By ourselves, we are too weak to hold our own, even for a moment. And our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, never stop attacking us. And so, Lord, uphold us and make us strong 
with the strength of your Holy Spirit so that we may not go down to defeat in the spiritual struggle, but may firmly resist our enemies until we finally win the complete victory. Thank you. At this point, I'm going to ask uh, Elsa and Henry and Emma to join me up here, and I'm going to have you move over to this side and sit this to get us some room. Yeah, just why don't we line up here. We do one, then two, but three right here. It's good to see the three of you. Why don't you just line up here and we'll say hello to folks. Good morning. It's always harder for me to think about these as as I look up to them. Good to see all three of you. Many of you will know Elsa and Henry and Emmett. They've grown up here with us, their mom and dad, Ben and Sarah. Yet they've come to a point, I had a great time to sit with them Thursday night and hear how their stories, growing up with parents that love the Lord, an extended family, a, a Holland Christian schools, all of these things that have surrounded them with the hope of the faith, now it's their call to step forward and own it. We talked a lot about that, and so each of it. So we're here this morning, and I'll give you just a quick one. Elsa is in Mount Pleasant, Central Michigan University, but she's headed off for a semester in Costa Rica. So we're glad to get that quickly. Henry begins at Grand Valley uh, in another few weeks. Starts August 29, and then the first recess is September 4th. That's a whole new way to do college, isn't it? (laughs) And Emmett uh, will be a junior at Holland Christian. So we're excited to share this moment with you. And it begins, let me set this text. We, We spoke about this Thursday night. Paul writes in Romans 10, this is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's with the heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. With that in mind, again, I'll use the traditional questions. We talked through these. I'll read the three and then uh, your answer. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, sent to redeem the world? Do you love and trust him as the one who saves you from your sin? And do you, with repentance and joy, embrace him as Lord of your life? The second question. Do you believe that the Bible is the word of God, revealing Christ in his redemption, and that the confessions of our church faithfully reflect this true revelation? And finally, do you promise to do all you can with the help of the Holy Spirit to strengthen your love and commitment to Christ by sharing faithfully in the life of the church, his body, honoring and submitting to its authority, and do you join with the people of God in doing the work of the Lord everywhere? If so, answer, we do, God helping us. Do you? A relationship with Jesus Christ is personal. It's not something we inherit. It's personal in our step, but it's also public as you've heard, and it's the thing that joins us with something larger than ourselves. Their step today in a very real way joins them with the church in China, or Iran, or in Honduras, or across centuries. And so on behalf of the World Christian Movement, I ask you, the congregation, Do you promise to love and support Elsa and Henry and Emmett 
with your prayers, your encouragement, and your example. Do you? By God's help, we do. Let me take a moment and pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for these three fellow believers, that they would stand in this moment and say, out of thankfulness for your great work on the cross, Lord Jesus, that it will be mine. We receive your grace. We respond in faith. Have your marvelous and mighty work. Thank you for all that you've done to prepare for this moment and for all that you will do to lead them from this moment. Help us as a congregation stand with them, encourage them, laugh and cry with them. Send them forth into the fullness of your good work for them. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all of God's people said together. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. I'll have you seated. Paul writes in the book of Philippians, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. One of the reasons we talk about faith using the metaphor of the journey is because it has a beginning, as we've seen. There's the steps along the way, but our confident confidence is in the one who finishes, who completes. If they've begun, they will journey, but our confidence is in the God who completes. So, as you're able, let's stand and sing together. Take my life and let it be. Uh, it's hymn number 863. Thank you. Have a seat if you would. This moment, let's turn to the Father and pray, shall we? Father in heaven, thank you that because of what Jesus did on the cross, uh, we have full access to the throne of grace, not simply as good people or hard workers or people with a, a memory, but You've called us and by your grace made us deeply loved, fully adopted children. And so we cry, Abba, Father. 
Father, guide us and fill us and encourage us in this life. Thank you that as we navigate the circumstances, whether work or school or family or whatever it may be, that you've taught us to call out to you, to hear and to follow. Speak to us in your word. Speak to us as we gather as a community. Speak to us as we pray. And yet enable us as well to step forward in a confidence of your good work and your marvelous hope. Father, we pray for Heart Awake Ministries. You've called us to be a part of this uh, three community movement, as it were. And so we pray for Watershed with Pastor Aaron as he'll be preaching this day, and for Pastor JB and Fusion across the hall. Again, as that community worships and hears your word, be encouragement and strength in each of them. We thank you that we get to support Pastor Florencio and Missy Hone, that they'll be meeting right here, and he'll be standing right where I am in a few hours to make clear the saving grace of Jesus in the Spanish language. But in this moment, you've called us as a particular expression of your uh, universal church celebration. You've called us to love not just the idea of people, but real people. You've called us to rejoice and to weep, not just with the idea of people, but with real people. And so we take this moment, I encourage you to, in the quiet of your own heart, to lift to the Lord intercessions, pray on behalf of people in your circle of relationships. They may be rejoicing, they may be grieving. Uh, those with need for medical touch, for encouragement, Make this a time that we as the people of God, may our prayers rise like incense before your throne of grace. Father, thank you that you are good, that even in the midst of circumstances that can be challenging and difficult, that you are still good. Make that our hope even more than our understanding. Help us to be a people who respond with the power of your Holy Spirit, the fruit of gentleness, kindness, self-control. Make us salt and light in the world in which you've placed us. Your word instructs us to pray for those in authority over us. And so in our regular cycle of prayer, we pray this Sunday for our federal government, by name for President Biden and Vice President Harris, Michigan Senators Debbie Stabenow and Gary Peters, and for our area Rep. Bill Heisinger. We pray for the Supreme Court and the nine justices as they uh, interpret the Constitution and the laws of Congress. We pray for people in administrative positions and bureaus and departments that as they uh, work to establish justice, and order and security, that they might be instruments in your hand, even those who don't recognize you, that you would use them to your glory and to the benefit of your people. Guide us, Father. I pray increasingly that you teach us to be a people, your church, who turn to you with repentance and trust. And so guide our hearts in that, we pray. 
Father, we thank you for the work of your gospel that goes forth. And so we pray very specifically for Corey Plockmeyer, who the executive director of Movement West Michigan, as he gathers nonprofits and churches in this area to join together with a synergy of mission. We thank you for the safe return of Ruth Kompazic from her time in Spain, that you use us across the world to make the love of Jesus clear and compelling. Father, we thank you that you are a God who begins, and so you spoke into existence all that we see, and you are a God who is at work, that through the course of history and in the midst of our lives and circumstances, in a way often beyond our ability to understand that you are at work and that you are a God who will complete what you have begun whether in the life of three students or the life of a congregation or even your purposes for a people group or a nation. Remind us that you were the one moving history to your completion, a good and perfect end. Thank you for the hope that you've given us to live with. Continue to renew us in that. Teach us to be a people who pray at every step along the way, using the words that you taught us as we pray together. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen and amen. Well, uh, we continue preaching through the Lord's Prayer. All three of our communities here at Hardawike are doing that through the course of the summer. And we look week by week and, uh, at a different petition, a different portion of that. And so I encourage you to uh, follow along. I'm also reading through the book, uh, Praying the Lord's Prayer with J.I. Packer. And before I ask you to stand uh, this morning, I want to give you a note about the text I'll be preaching from, the sermon reading. Uh, I'll first, typically what I'll do is focus on a particular um, passage and try to exegete or exposit that. This morning, I'm going to do things a little different. If we'll, I'll get us to the next slide, and you'll see I'm uh, touching passages in Matthew as well as Hebrews. And one of the reasons I'm doing that, just so that you have an idea, is so that we can answer this question, what does he mean by deliver us from temptation? The word group, noun, verb, adjective, that's referred to in, in temptation is used 62 times in the New Testament. Now, I took the opportunity to prayerfully look at each of those references with context, but I want to remind you that that's a good way to study and to read. Um, a statement that I like from my own tradition, the Westminster Confession, so this is just hearing from your Scottish cousins. Uh, these aren't the statements of the, the Dutch church, the CRC. But we hold this same faith, and here's a great way to state it in modern English. The infallible standard for the interpretation of the Bible is the Bible itself. 
And so any question about the true and complete sense of a passage in the Bible, which after all is a unified whole, can be answered by referring to other passages which speak more plainly. And so to understand this word temptation, the first, the best, the primary way to do that is to look at how it's used across all the scripture. And so that's part of what I've done. That's why I've chosen these passages to uh, deal with in the course of the sermon. So as you're able, I'll ask you out of reverence for the word of God, if you would stand together and I will read beginning in Matthew chapter four. It's recorded, then Jesus was, and listen to this, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Led by the Spirit to be tempted. Hmm. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Yeah. The tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then our Sermon on the Mount, this then is how you should pray, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Later on in the life of Jesus, then he, that is Jesus, returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then later in Hebrews, because he himself, again, that is Jesus, suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat if you would, and I'll pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you that as we gather uh, simple people, broken and in need, but as we gather and turn to you, that we thank you for the grace of you making yourself known, that you used a tax collector named Matthew who would have heard from the lips of Jesus the story of Jesus' temptation, who would have listened to the Sermon on the Mount and been there in that moment of Gethsemane with Peter and the others. Thank you that as the author of Hebrews reflected on all that he'd seen and heard and been taught and anointed by your spirit would write, thank you that in these human writings, you meet us to shape us and to guide us. Thank you for the way you've preserved these texts across centuries so that now we can study and translate and meditate and discuss and um, ask questions, dig in. Take this moment, and just as you've been a part of it, Holy Spirit, across the whole process, so now illumine our hearts and minds to hear the good news of the gospel of God's grace. Thank you that Jesus is at the center 
of all that the Scripture has to say. So this day, guard your people from my confusion and brokenness and make yourself known. For we make our prayer in the mighty name of Jesus and all of God's people sit together. Amen and amen. So again, I hope you see the principle at work, Scripture in light of Scripture, that the best way to understand any passage is consistent and in light of all the others. And that was just a brief, if you will, example of a word study, digging into the Scripture. Now, it is quite true that over the years of ministry, people have often asked me, Pastor, what, what does this mean? To lead us not into temptation. What's that about? You see, it's easy to be confused, I think. Why would God tempt us to do evil? Why that? What does that say about God if he's one to give us the chance to behave badly? And you see, that's exactly what I want to say. I think the problem arises, the question uh, grows out of a, how we think about this word referring to temptation. If we think that it's no more than behaving badly, the opportunity to behave badly, then we'll think about it in one way. But Jesus is calling us to see something much bigger than just behaving badly. Oh, Miss Susan, you're just tempting me with that second slice of sweet potato pie. And with a double dollop of that whipped cream, See, that's the opportunity to behave badly. But there's more going on than just the opportunity to behave badly, even if behaving badly is far worse, if you will, than just overeating. There's something else going on here, and I love how the Heidelberg Catechism and even some translations use the word trial and time of trial. Deliver us from the trial. Ah, okay. So the temptation is testing or trying something. What exactly is going on in this temptation or trial? I think it's this, and we'll develop this more through the morning. It's the opportunity to trust something other than the Lord. It's not just bad behavior. Don't let it be only that. The trials, the temptations, what Jesus teaches us to ask for deliverance from are these moments, hard-pressed circumstances that show us the loves of our heart. What are my values? What are my motivations? What would I stand up for? Why do I live the way that I do? You see, there's a biblical truth, misplaced trust will always produce bad behavior. If you trust in your ability, you'll find yourself doing things that God may not be calling you to. If you trust your tribe at the depth of your heart, then you'll follow them even when they go differently than Jesus. You see, a circumstance or a situation that helps us identify what our hearts trust, that's what Jesus is teaching us to pray about this day. Do we really trust the Lord at the deepest level? I mean, we're all, we're church people here, right? We're all quick to say, oh yes, I trust the Lord. But in the squeeze that life often brings, we get to see what maybe we really trust in at a deeper level.
What is it that we look to for our security, for our identity, for meaning in life? Misplaced trust produces bad behavior. It was a long time before I began to realize I needed to look at those things where I was struggling, my bad behaviors, if you will, my besetting sin, and ask, what does those, that behavior teach me about my heart? The trial, the temptation is the circumstances that let us see that. That's why I'm so taken by this question 127 in the Heidelberg Catechism. The time of trouble, trial, deliver us from that. These trials and temptations of life, they give us a look at our heart. The good news of the gospel is we get to see our heart, if you will, in light of the gospel. That means because of what Jesus did on the cross, I am a deeply loved, fully adopted child of the great creator king. I'm not looking at my heart wondering if I have made the grade. I'm looking at my heart in the circumstances of life asking, how would Jesus continue to purify that from here? What's the next step in the journey? Deliver us from this time of testing because it's difficult, this temptation. It's hard. Friends, I want to tell you, we're talking about more than just behavior here. We need to recognize that the temptations, the fall, the, the things that we do wrong, these become an opportunity to test who we trust and what God is doing in our life. That's what temptation is about. And, and that's how it plays out all through the Scripture. If we were to look at all 62 uses in the New Testament, and then it's a whole different area of study to, to find that same teaching in the Old Testament and identify it and focus on it. But the place to start is right where we did in the text this morning, Matthew 4, 1 through 4, because Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, by the tempter. So, you see, Jesus faced what we will face, and because Jesus had faced it and knew what it was like, he taught us, deliver us from temptation. Don't go looking for it. The real temptation, the trials that show us our heart are hard. Be honest about that. I don't want to face that, but when I do, God has an answer. Jesus faced that, Matthew 4, 1. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. That wouldn't make it on your typical <laughs> prosperity theology TV program, is all I'll call it. Who wants to turn on the TV and hear, oh, you may face hard times. Look at my life, and you'll see that that's a promise through the course of time. You'll see it. It goes on to say that after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, if you were the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Okay, so that was the temptation. What is that all about? What's going on there? If we just think, how could Jesus behave badly in that? What, what would it look like? What would it be? Is bad behavior showing off your superhero powers, turning stones into bread? Well, just a little later, Jesus would feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves. God's not concerned about power and, and miracles. That's fine. That's not bad behavior. 
The temptation for Jesus was more than just using those powers to produce food for himself and to meet his own need. I think the heart temptation was more like this, the opportunity to use his own power for his own ends, to feed himself, to prove something about himself, to demonstrate that he was no ordinary guy, fast 40 days, then speak to a stone, and you've got bread. That was all about Jesus. That was the temptation. Not, can you do mighty works? Not, can you care for other people? But will you use your power to meet your hunger in your own effort? The real temptation going on here is the challenge to trust God in his hunger. Will I trust God? This is a hungry time. Will I trust God? So it's not about looking for what behaviors to avoid. It's about asking, what does the desire or pull towards this behavior tell me about my own heart and about what I love? And I think you'll see this as we look all through the Scripture. We could start at the very beginning. The testing in the garden. Will Adam and Eve trust God in what he's spoken? Or will they fall for the line and the lie from some talking snake? You see, the really preposterous thing about that story is that you'd think Satan has good things to tell you. It's amazing, isn't it? So there's this, who do you trust in the moment? Abraham tested in the wilderness with Isaac. Do you trust me to fulfill my promise? Even, even at the sacrifice of your only son. Israel tested in the wilderness as they come. Who will feed us? Who do you trust? The tribes in the promised land. It says they were unable to conquer all the other uh, tribes, but Israel would see them as a test of who do they trust for their future? The Lord or their own weapons and armament? I'm particularly struck the whole book of Job becomes an important portion of the Old Testament to see this same principle played out. The entire book describes the sort of trial, testing, where is your heart thing that is at the center of how Jesus teaches us to pray. If you remember the book of Job, you remember the tempter, Satan, comes before God and he says, your servant Job only serves you when life is good. See, he's just thankful, so he's careful. But if you take life away from him, if you wreak havoc on all that he loves and all that he has, he'll curse you to his face. See, that's a test of the heart. Job doesn't suffer because he did bad. He's got five friends who will come and tell him that. Have you ever had people in the world who are quick to tell you how wrong you are and that's why you suffer? You know, sometimes I've done stupid things and they've cost me. Other times, my life has been hard-pressed, not because of what I've done, but because of evil outside of me. That's where um, Job is. Satan wreaks havoc, destroying everything that Job has and he loves. The test in that moment is, will Job turn from God, as Satan accuses, or will Job say that God is not good? Again, that's where the tempter is pressing him. Job's friends, they want him to say that he deserves everything that he's suffered. And that's not true either. 
Job's undeserved suffering is a refining fire that will make plain the nature of his own heart. That's the lesson for us. That a good, decent, hardworking guy can encounter deep and tragic, hard, undeserved loss. And in that moment, do you turn from God or do you turn to God? What does Job trust at the deepest level? We see in the book that he turns to God. He has questions and complaints. You know, that's fine. I often want to help people understand that a church right where you're sitting ought to be the safest place on the planet to come ask a question about God. Aren't we all asking questions and trying to go forward in that journey of knowing and understanding him at a deeper level? Will Job turn to God or will he turn away from God? The good news is that Job engages the Almighty and pursues him. Job does not turn away to his own ability, attempting to make sense of his suffering, attempting to get away or get treatment or just do whatever it takes to relieve his pain. There he is, engaging God. There's another very interesting thing about this teaching of Jesus in Matthew 6. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from, very interesting, this next word, evil. But the Heidelberg Catechism said, evil one. Which is it, Pastor Bill? Is it evil that's general? You know, there's a broken world, things happen. Or is there something personal and willful and deliberate about evil? Well, I'm here to give you the definitive answer to that. It's both. The language of the Greek there is very clear. It covers both person, I'm sorry, both general evil as well as specific or personal evil one. It's the nature of the neuter in Greek and used in that way. So we could well pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the next week, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's a both and. And I want to suggest to you, this is another one of those places where the, the Scripture, in light of the Scripture, Genesis to Revelation, offers a much more nuanced and detailed view of the world. The world is more than just this imminent physics, biology, psychology, economics, there's a dimensionality. There's something more than just what we see. We're called to recognize that we encounter a transcendent reality, not in place of the imminent. It's a both and. And so we're taught to pray, deliver us from evil, deliver us from the evil one. Again, the Heidelberg Catechism uses, and this is a classic statement, the challenges we face, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And we don't often use that anymore. I used to say we, in modern times, face uh, different sorts of challenges. I now have to deal with the world, the flesh, the devil, and my rundown automobile. It's only that much harder. But this classic statement, world, flesh, and the devil, I was really helped by a book called Live No Lives. My colleague JB 
uh, teaching pastor at Fusion, was the one who brought it to our study this week. It's called Live No Lies, Recognize and Resist the Three Enemies That Sabotage Your Peace by John Mark Comer. Very interesting book by a guy who's a good generation or two younger than me. This is what I love about my ability to collaborate with these guys. I apparently bring the senior wisdom. They bring the millennial perspective, and we're all better for it. But John Mark has a way of phrasing this. It's a historic truth from the Scripture and through the people of God that have gone before us. The devil brings these false ideas. I am not loved. I am not lovable. And so God doesn't want anything to do with me. Here's a false idea. God expects me to live good, live well. These ideas that then drive our behaviors. I'll often talk about the orphan voice that I hear within me that hamstrings my relationships and interaction with people. Oh, I could never be like them. Those ideas that drive our behavior, the false desires of the flesh, that I really want that. And then we frame these into patterns and structures that make decisions for us. An almost trite way of playing that out. I go to check out at the store and the twisted desires of my belly hear that voice. You can't live without those potato chips. And what do they have right there at the checkout? I'm dealing with, and again, a very safe and fairly trite way, the world, the flesh, and the devil. The grace of Jesus is my opportunity to respond. I simply close my eyes, leave what I'm about to buy, and run out. That's the response of the flesh. I remember I'm loved and face the challenges that I do. Friends, I want to tell you, if the goal is good behavior, we don't know what to do when we fail the test besides try harder. Sometimes that works. But I can't tell you the darkness I've sat in as I've struggled and then struggled with my struggle and then struggled with my struggle about the struggle and find myself struggling again. I want to tell you the good news of the gospel is for people like that, like me. Deliver us from the test. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from that evil. You see, we're called, lead us not into temptation. We're called to ask for mercy in the hardship because those tests can be hard. Imagine as many degrees as I've got and still failing. Again, a light example, but a, a true situation. So ask for mercy in the face of these challenges. And the deliverance I seek is the source of grace, the Lord Jesus. Deliver me from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I do that as I pursue the living God. Friends, I want to tell you, there will be times for every one of us when good behavior simply fails the test. That's why I wanted to close. Again, and you, you hear these uh, 
this key word, temptation, used throughout. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Grace to help us because at the throne of grace, we find one who was tempted, who was tested, and who passed. You know, there's only one who's ever met the challenge. And you can either try to be the second one or you can rest your life and your trust in him. Let us approach the throne of God's grace with confidence and we'll find grace to help us in our time of need. That last line reminded me of a story, Johnny Erickson. Her name may ring true with many of you. Born in Baltimore, Maryland, she was the youngest of four vibrant daughters. Her dad was an Olympic class wrestler. Like her parents and her sisters, Johnny lived a very active life all through her growing up years. She enjoyed riding horses, hiking, tennis, swimming, all those things until one fateful day, everything changed with a single act. On July 30, 1967, when she was 17 years old, she dived into the Chesapeake Bay, misjudging the shallowness of the water. As a result of that single misjudgment, she had a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae and became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the shoulders down. What followed in her circumstance was two years of intense rehabilitation. And from one perspective, a lifetime of disability. Perhaps you've seen or read about her before. Let those images come back to mind. She would write in her autobiography, a very honest book. In her own penned words, she would record the anger, seasons of depression, suicidal thoughts and ideation, doubts with God and his goodness. These were all a part of her own journey, but all those pressures and emotions, they didn't press her away from God. They pressed her instead towards God to find grace to help her in time of need. Was that a temptation to trust something other than God? Oh, absolutely. Was it a trial that would show her what her heart was set on? Oh, yes. And there would be times that she'd need to say, Father, I need to work this through in who I trust. Now, as a result of that accident, Johnny would go on to live a life of trial and testing, but it would not be right to minimize her challenge. You see, she would live that life. It would be hard, but it has also been wonderfully, and could we say surprisingly fruitful, her life. She learned to paint first with a paintbrush in her teeth. I was amazed to watch that as a kid. How does somebody rise from that injury to that beauty? She would become a speaker. She became an advocate for the disabled. Remember, every human being you ever meet is an image bearer of God. She broke her neck and was paralyzed. She was no less an image bearer that Jesus went to the cross to redeem and invite her to become a child. She entered into that. She became a speaker, an advocate, an inspiration to all. She eventually married, and she's still alive today at the age of 73. 
unbelievable. One might say that Joni was tried, Johnny was tried and she was found trusting. Not that she performed well in every moment, not that she was so deserving of blessings, but trusting in her lifetime of trial, she found grace, a deeper walk with Jesus. The moment of her trial, in the context of the fullness of all that God has for us. She helps me see with a different perspective. Clearly, she found the Lord Jesus to be her hope in time of trial. Lead us not into the trial, but when we face it, deliver us from evil. She found hope when she saw in the Lord her contact of grace, not her tormentor. Jesus was not one who let her down. Jesus was one who himself went to the cross for her and now could meet her in this moment of suffering. Mercy and hardship, pray for it. Deliverance from the source when it comes. Pray this way, because that's how Jesus teaches us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the scripture is just so real. And the, the Jesus we meet in the scripture has just been through the challenges we would face. So help us at every time in our challenge to face, to turn to Jesus and to face our challenges with him. Thank you for your kindness and goodness to us that even the trials we face will work over time and perhaps beyond this life into ways that shape us and draw us close to you. Even as we see the need of our heart to trust you more deeply, be gentle and kind and work with us in that. Guide us, fill us with hope. Make us be encouragers, equipped to weep with those who are weeping, but to point to something greater, the love of Jesus, risen from the cross, leaving the tomb behind, and going before us, the pioneer and perfecter of what it means to be fully human, flourishing under the grace of God, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Father, thank you. Sometimes it feels like this world is just a war zone. Thank you that in this world, you are with us. Thank you for those who've gone before us to point us in that direction. Hear us as we pray and as we sing to your glory. For we make our prayer in the name of the risen one, Jesus Christ, and all of God's people sit together. Amen. Amen. One of those uh, sinners saved by grace who's gone before us is a, a guy, Martin Luther. Uh, where Luther had it, he was really good. Where he didn't, he was ay vey really bad. Let's stand and sing out of his wisdom. It's hymn number 776, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Stand as you're able.
benediction of our God taken from the book of 2 Thessalonians. And now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, may he encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and work. Amen? And amen. Amen.